Well, last fall, I had the opportunity to travel back to Northern California and go to a place that I love so much. Now, I know California, a land of the fruits and nuts, and just all the craziness that is going on there, I understand, but I do love California. I love the mountainous region that I grew up in, in the Northern Cascade Mountains up in Siskiyou County. I love the little town called Mount Shasta. Mount Shasta is a beautiful little city and growing up, I, I just enjoyed going there. One of my favorite restaurants is the Black Bear Diner. I don't know how many of you have ever been to a Black Bear Diner, but when I was back there every morning, my dad, my brother-in-law, Steve and myself, we went there and had breakfast every morning. We were regulars there for you know the three mornings that we were there. It was a lot of fun. As I was back there at, uh, at Main Street, going down Main Street, you know you have these memories of these places. Uh, you remember what they were like the last time you were there, and it had been about ten years. And boy, let me tell you, some things have changed there on Main Street in Mount Shasta City. Some things have changed quite a bit. Uh, we went over to Main Street, started walking down Main Street, and I was so amazed at all the New Age stores that were there. They had taken over. I counted six of them right in a row. You had all these New Age, they were selling crystals, stones, all these things. You could uh, sit down and, and talk to some uh, spiritual guide there. I mean, they just had all these crazy things. You know, over the years, I've seen the city slowly succumb to these things. And honestly, for me, it really kind of breaks my heart to see. I like when things remain the same, that things don't change. I like that, especially when it comes to my kind of my hometown area, if you will. You know, the same is true anywhere we go. We like when things are the same that they don't change. We don't like it. We didn't like when uh, COVID came through and there was all this change and we were forced into it. Though some good things happened, there was a lot of change and it is still rippling through our world even today. I don't know what's going to happen in the days ahead. I don't know what challenges that you and I might end up facing. But this, this I do know that there is one who never changes. He is the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, tonight, what I want to do is present with you some observations from the life of Ezra. And I'd like to present you with a message tonight entitled, God Still Is. God Still Is. And I want you to see what God did in Ezra's life and what he still does today. So take your Bibles, if you will, and go hunt for the book of Ezra. Uh, easiest way to find this is going to be go to Psalms and start working your way back to the left, to the front of uh, your Bible. You'll find Job, you'll find Esther, you'll find Nehemiah, and then you'll find Ezra. So take your Bibles, go ahead and get open to Ezra. 
And we're going to be primarily in chapter 7 tonight. Ezra chapter 7. In Ezra we find God's people, they are still in the Babylonian captivity. They had practiced idolatry, God had warned them, he had shown them mercy and grace, extended that quite a bit, and then finally brought judgment to his people. They were carried away into captivity uh, for those sins of idolatry and rebellion against him. And most definitely for them, and especially for those that were still, you know, faithful to the Lord, how heartbreaking this change would be. As they're being carried away into captivity with their families, maybe some families being separated and having to go to this foreign land, it would have felt quite heartbreaking and even being a hopeless situation. Yet God did give some encouragement to those in captivity with these words found in Jeremiah 29, where the Lord said to them, take Build ye houses, and dwell in them, plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whether I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. So the Lord told them, go ahead and live your life. Though you're in the, this foreign land, you're in captivity, go ahead and live your life. As we get to Ezra, we find that in Ezra chapter 1, we're starting to get about two to three generations away from this initial uh, generation that was carried away into captivity. So understand this, that the accounts of, or the lives of Daniel, Ezekiel, Esther, were all before Ezra's time. All those happened before. So for Ezra, those would have been the testimonies. Those would have been the accounts that would have been shared with Ezra growing up as a, a young boy about Queen Esther, about Daniel, about the message of Ezekiel. But I think there would have been some challenges for Ezra as he looked in the land and wondered about going back home. In Ezra chapter 1, we find Cyrus, king of Persia, he makes this edict, and this is the first of three returns to the land of Israel. Ezra was the second of, in that second uh, return, he was the one that led the second group. Zerubbabel was the one that led, led the first group, and he was the one that began to do the reconstruction of the temple. Later, Nehemiah would lead a third group and he would work on rebuilding the walls. So through all of this here, these three men were the ones that led uh, people back to their homeland. And if Zerubbabel was responsible for rebuilding the temple, Ezra was the one that was responsible for rebuilding the spiritual lives of the people. He was trying to see reformation for each of these that had come and see spiritual reformation in their worship and in their lives and, and walk with the Lord. So let's look at Ezra. Let's look at Ezra chapter 7. And I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. And I'll read the first five verses here. And then we'll draw our first observation from the text. 
Ezra chapter 7, verse 1, after these things in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Marioth, the son of Zariah, the son of Uzai, and the son of Bukai, the son of Abishua, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. And we'll stop right there because this is going to help us to see that God is still faithful. God is still faithful. Now you go through this list of names and you immediately recognize that Ezra's lineage, his ancestors can be traced all the way back to the first high priest, Aaron. Now that's pretty impressive. For the Jewish people, your genealogy mattered. You know, for you and for me, man, I don't know how you are when it comes to the genealogies. I don't know if you like to go through them, but I had to practice many times reading through that and learning those guys' names. And believe it or not, two or three of them I still got wrong, even though I practiced them. It's hard to go through the genealogies. It's hard to get excited about genealogies and go through. But for the Jewish people, boy, this mattered to them. This was important. And it was pretty prestigious for, um, for Ezra, Ezra to be able to have this lineage. But you're going to see that through his lineage that God is still faithful. Do you remember when you had the, uh, through the wilderness wanderings, Israel was led by the pillar of fire and the, the pillar of cloud? Remember that that guided them through the land. When it stopped, the Israelites would stop. They'd set up camp. When it lifted up and began to move, then all the people would pack up and begin to move. It was a demonstration of God's faithful guidance to the nation. And it's remarkable here as I'm thinking about God's faithfulness. God says this to the nation, Deuteronomy chapter 7, he says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God. God is faithful. Now he was faithful back then when he was leading with that you know, that pillar of smoke, the fire. I mean, it was just evident. It was so obvious what was going on. But now you get to Ezra's time. There's no pillar of fire. There's no pillar of smoke. And Ezra is, again, I mean, you have to be one God. Are you still faithful? you still faithful. And I do believe that for Ezra, this account of his genealogy shows his belief that God is faithful. Remember that the first high priest was Aaron and his brother Moses was the one that led them out of that first exodus, led them out of the land of Egypt. What did God do here? He gave Ezra the opportunity to lead another exodus, to raise up another leader that he might go and bring the people back to the land that God had promised. Do you not see God is faithful to his word, to his promises? And though maybe there were some people in Israel that were struggling, that were just saying, God, are you really faithful? Do you keep your promises? The answer is absolutely he does. Yes, he does. 
And Ezra's genealogy shows that. Because we see God was faithful. He raised another leader to lead the people back to that promised land. The psalmist said, Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. That includes Israel back in the wilderness wanderings. That includes in Ezra's day. And that includes our generation today. You know, to campus church, to you, to his people, all across this world, God is still faithful. God is still faithful, and he's going to do works through this place. He's going to do works all across the world. I wonder if we're overlooking God's faithfulness. I wonder if we're overlooking it. Scripture often speaks of it. It often speaks of God's faithfulness. Over and over we learn that when God says he'll do something, he does it. Uh, We see that even when it seems impossible, God does it. When he says something will happen, it will happen. And this has been true for the past, the present, and the future. You know, and if this wasn't the case, then God would not be God. If he missed one of his promises that he is no longer God. He would not be God. Jeremiah witnessed God's faithfulness. Though he wept over the people, their sin, their rebelliousness, the, the devastation of his homeland, he wrote, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. God still is. Nothing changes. His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Y'all, as we look at this passage here, as we consider Ezra's genealogy, we're seeing God continuing to be faithful to his people. Paul, in all his sufferings, in all the hardships that he endured through his life, And through his ministry for the Lord, he wrote these words to to the church at Thessalonica. But the Lord is faithful and will establish you and keep you from evil. The word establish has this idea of make permanent. He will fix you. He will uh, help you to be settled. You know, for you and for me, there is a faithful God that what he has done in the days of Ezra, what he has done in the days of Joshua, what he has done in the days of Moses, of Joseph, and all those that have gone before us, he will do for us today. God is still faithful. Well, let's continue on and see how else God still is. So as we continue in, let's look there at verse number six. This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given, and the king granted him all his request, according to the hand of the Lord, his God upon him. Here we see that God still is good. God still is good. Uh, This past week, 
my, my wife and I were able to uh, watch our third son graduate uh, from high school. And it's always fun to hit those milestones with your kids. One, it's a good sign that you're a parent when your kid makes it to high school. They've survived your parenting, okay? And it's quite exciting to see them reach that uh, milestone. But it's also one of those moments for you that you begin to look back over their life and you begin to see all these photos, all these memories start coming, flooding back to your mind. You ever been there before? Yeah, I was always told by other parents that their kids had grown up, they were adults. I was always told, hey, you know, enjoy it because they grow up so fast. And a blink of an eye, you know, or they'd tell me, don't blink. They'd say, don't blink, you know, because if you blink, you know, they're going to be adults. It's like, whoa, you know, they went from two to 20, you know. And I tried my best to follow their advice, to savor every moment, as difficult as it may be. And now our house, as our boys are entering into college, and our house becomes a little bit more quiet. And my wife and I begin to lament a little bit to one another and say, man, you know, this house is getting quiet. There's not as much noise in this home. And then we'll both look at each other and say, this is depressing, <laughs> okay? Some of you parents are at that empty, empty nest, okay? And you're like, oh, don't worry, it gets better, okay? You know, maybe it does, but we have Judah who's four. It's going to be a while before we get there. But those moments of life are just that. They're, they're a moment. They fly by. And if we're not careful, we do miss so much in those moments. You know, it's interesting to me that Ezra didn't miss those God moments in his life. Do you ever think about how God does things in our life that maybe we, we, we haven't noticed didn't pay attention like we're like wow you know we we just miss getting hit by that semi you ever stop to think that the Lord was protecting you watching out for you Ezra says this phrase he writes this phrase and it appears about five six times throughout his book and you find it there at the end of verse six and he says this according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. He later says in verse number nine at the end, it says, according to the good hand of his God upon him. Ezra was in some position that would have given him access to the king, to be able to go and present a request about going back to his homeland. Say, hey, I really want to get back there, king. I, I want to do that. And here is the amazing thing, and it's almost, you know, incredible to me as I read this, because the Bible says the king granted him all his requests. Now, Ezra is in a foreign land. He's in captivity. And this foreign king looks at this guy that, you know, was carried away and was born in this country, and he looks at him, and, and, and he says, you know what? Yeah, you can do that all of it go ahead and then you know what the king does I mean he sweetens the deal even more he says 
I'll tell you what. You can take some of my gold and my silver from my treasure house. They even took up this free will offering amongst the Babylonian people and, and, and collected all this and said, hey, you know, let's, let's put this all together for them. You find that in the verses there from 13 to 20. And then in verse 20 there says, and whatsoever more shall be needed for the house of thy God, which thou shall have occasion to bestow, bestow it out of the king's treasure house. Hey, Ezra, let me tell you, if that isn't enough, granting all your requests, giving you this gold, silver, and just all this other stuff, hey, I'll tell you what, I'll give you even more. Could you imagine Ezra? I mean, he makes the request, right? And the king tells him all this and gives him this decree. He says, yep, let's do this. Could you imagine Ezra's mouth just drop? Like, what? What? But did Ezra go, man... I'm shrewd. Man, you know, it's my boldness that brought this to pass. Did any of that come to Ezra's mind? Did he say, I I am so eloquent, I was able to convince the king. I gave him reasonable reasons for us to go and do this. Did he do that? No, he acknowledged something. It's the hand of God. It's the hand of God on my life. This is God's goodness, his grace. Folks, I I don't think we consider how good God is to us. I think we spend more time whining, complaining, lamenting about all that ails us, all of our troubles, our hardships, our problems. And I get it, sometimes they are difficult. We all go through them at different times in our life. But even in the midst of those... The God that never changes, I change not, God says. The God that says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is he still not good then? In the worst moments of your life, is God still not good? So as we look at this here, As we consider Ezra saw God's goodness in the king's response. He saw God's goodness in protecting their travels. Look with me there at verse 7, 8, and 9. And there went up some of the children of Israel and of the priests and the Levites and the singers and the porters and the Nethanims unto Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month which was in the seventh year of the king. For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of his God upon him. This was a four-month journey that covered some 1,000 miles. At this time here, I mean, this is not a short trip for them. It took them four months to get there. This would be equivalent to you and I departing Pensacola, and taking a thousand mile trip, not, not by a car or plane, but maybe by foot, maybe if we were lucky to have a, a donkey to ride on or a horse or something like that, or maybe a cart, but it would be going from Pensacola to Niagara Falls. That's quite the trip, isn't it? And Ezra along the way would have experienced a lot of challenges, would have been in some great 
um, uh, great predicaments with the treasure. I mean, don't you think people talked? Don't you think people said, man, this guy's loaded. I mean, this, uh, this caravan's going, man, they're loaded. Ezra knew that. Ezra knew, boy, we're going to be a target. It's like we're walking down the street with all this treasure, this gold. I mean, they see these carts and all this stuff, and they're thinking to themselves, okay, this is a perfect target. But what did God do? He protected them. You know, I wonder with Ezra, the Bible says here that he was a ready scribe. The idea that he was well-versed, he was skilled, he was experienced. He knew his Bible. I wonder if Psalm 121 didn't come to mind for Ezra. One that would have studied the scriptures and would have seen these words, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Would it not be something amazing for Ezra to be looking around and each day noting God's protection? Oh, this is God's good hand. This is God's good hand. You know, God's goodness. You know, he never sleeps. God protects us day and night. God protects our travels. God is never without the power to be able to do what needs to be done in our lives. God is so gracious to us. There is one more thing for us to see that God still is and this one we're going to rephrase it just a little bit but God's word still transforms God's word still transforms I don't know what your passion is I don't know if some of you here are just avid fishers Uh, maybe you're like Pastor Gorley and just love fishing and any day is a good day that you're out fishing Uh, I don't know, maybe you're into sports, maybe you enjoy sports, maybe you enjoy shopping, maybe you just enjoy social media. I don't know what it might be, but whatever it might be, there are men and women over the centuries that have had a passion for the Word of God, for His truth. Tertullian devoted his days and nights to Bible reading so much that he had learned much of it by heart even its punctuations. Uh, Theodius the Younger could repeat any part of the scripture exactly and discourse with uh, others at the court as if he himself uh, were one of the religious leaders. Uh, Beza could repeat all Paul's epistles in Greek at age 80. And I hope my mind is still working that well at age 80. That would be great. There's others that could repeat the entire New Testament from memory. Uh, He... Kramer, he learned it on his journey to Rome. Tradition holds that Ezra had the law memorized and could write it from memory. 
I'm lucky to be able to get all the words of for God so loved the world. You know, John 3, 16, get those all down. I'm not worried about punctuation. I'm just worried about getting the words. But Ezra had everything. Ezra had it all in his mind. You know, so I want to make a statement here, and I want you to listen very carefully to this statement. Because quite frankly, this is the crux for you and for me. If we are going to change the world for God, then we need to study the Word of God. If we are going to change the world for God, then we need to study the Word of God. Look with me at Ezra chapter 7 verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. You know, how did Ezra study the word? I want you to understand that the pattern that he set is very important. What we find in there, the order is not accidental. The first thing that Ezra did was that he prepared his heart. What this means is that this was intentional. This was purposed. Let me ask you something. If um, somebody dressed, let's see, if somebody dressed in a Coca-Cola uniform is telling you that you should buy Coca-Cola, okay? And they're telling you, yes, you need it, best drink, best drink, you know, you need to get Coca-Cola. But then you see them and they are at Publix and they're buying Pepsi in their Coca-Cola uniform. Now, how are you going to feel about buying Coca-Cola? Thinking, well, if the Coca-Cola guy is not buying Coca-Cola, but he's buying Pepsi, shouldn't I be buying Pepsi too? See, Christians, do you believe the book? Do you believe this book? If we believe this book, if we believe this is the truth, then here comes the next step, then why don't we practice it? Love one another. Oh, love one another. Forgive one another. Oh, forgive. And be ye kind one to another. Isn't it interesting, the challenges that we have? But you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how they hurt me. You don't know my story, Pastor Burdick. That may be true. But God does. And his word is truth. We are to love one another. We are to forgive one another. We're to be kind one to another. I mean, if the truth that we sit there and gather around and listen to on a a regular basis, if this is the truth that we are supposed to be practicing and we don't do it, why would anyone else want to follow after us to do these things written in this book? Jesus said, if you know these things, happy... Happy are ye if you do them. Wait a second. Happy? You mean if I do the right things the right way? If I I do what God reveals to me through his word? Yeah. You'll find joy. You're going to find happiness through going God's way. Quite often we want everyone else to change, don't we? Oh, man, I wish everybody else would change. 
then the world would be perfect. If they were all like me, we'd all love Apple and this would be a great world, okay? But alas, that is not to be. Because quite frankly, the most important person that needs to change for me is me. And the same is true for you. We so easily pick on everybody else. Jump all over their case. You should do this. You should do that. But you know, we don't always pick at ourselves with the same fervor and passion. We cannot win others to the truth, which has no place in our hearts. He studied it. He prioritized that study time. Uh, He practiced what he understood. Uh, Jesus uh, was talking with his disciples and, you know, he said that uh, this to his disciples, Luke 6, 46, and why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? He said that to his disciples. He said, guys, look, I give you this truth, not simply to just put it on a picture frame and put it in your home as some token but I want this written in your heart I want you to treasure it I want you to bury it deep I want this book to be something that you follow look there's happiness there Uh, there's blessing that comes from obeying these commands Ezra was one that prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord to do it But then he wanted to share it. He wanted to tell others about God's word. He had a passion. You know, enthusiasm breeds enthusiasm. Boy, if you get somebody excited about something, guess what happens? Others are going to get excited about it. If you start telling people this is the best restaurant to go to, and everywhere you go, eventually you know what's going to happen? Well, you know, Pastor Burdick said to go to this restaurant. He said it was the best one ever, and you're going to try it at least once. You know, that's what's going to happen. Folks, we need to be enthusiastic about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, think for a moment. I'm starting to get off a, a little bit here, but think for a moment about our future. Where are you and I going to be a thousand years from now? What is that realm of heaven going to look like? I mean, we're going to be able to see the crystal sea. We're going to be able to uh, see that mansion that he has prepared for us. We're going to be able to fellowship with all those who have gone before us. That is our future. And we sit there and just like, hmm, yep, there's no excitement. Boy, we ought to be so excited about what God has got for us ahead. And what we do right now is we tell others, we share. Ezra was excited. I mean, he had been studying. He was well-versed. I mean, he was one that had to work hard to do so. There was no synagogue in Babylon. Uh, There was no place for him. So uh, those rolls, uh, the scroll rolls, the scrolls that they had would have been quite precious to them. And he made it his life's purpose, his mission, to know God's word. 
You know, this is the life of Ezra. In Nehemiah chapter 8, I want you to see this. Why don't you take it? Ezra and Nehemiah worked together when Nehemiah got back there. But go to Nehemiah chapter 8, and we're going to close after looking at Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to see what God did with Ezra's just passion to share, to teach, to instruct. In, uh, in Nehemiah chapter 8, we find Ezra here, and all the people are gathered together. And look with me at verse number 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both the men and women, and all that could hear with understanding, upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. Now think for just a moment. This this ready scribe, passionate about seeking the law of the Lord, Now he gets to share, he gets to teach, he gets to do what he has been wanting to do. And boy, did he go a long time, from morning to midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for that purpose. Let's drop down to verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he is above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. I love this saying. This is what Ezra wanted to do. And God allowed him that opportunity. And again, all this happened because he still remembered who God is. Don't think for a moment that God's work diminishes as time goes on. God's work continues. And it's just as special as it was in the day of Ezra, as the day of Joshua, as in the day of Moses, as in the day of Joseph. It's just as special. And God is doing a work in your life. God still is faithful. God still is good. And God's word still transforms people today. Folks, I don't know about you, but I hope as you leave this place tonight that in your heart you will respond just like these people did to Ezra's lengthy reading of the scripture with Amen, amen.